welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Good morning. We have three readings this morning. The first is from Genesis 15, verses 1 to 6. The Lord's covenant with Abram. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Then in Genesis 16, verses 1 to 6, Hagar and Ishmael. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. And then in Genesis 17, verses 15 to 22. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. Thank you so much, Miranda, for bringing us those three readings. Why don't you always give Miranda a round of applause? You may remember your days at school where the teacher faithfully pointed to you and said, it's your turn to read from that book. And you're either one of those students that went, yes, 
a chance to talk in class and not get in trouble, or you went, oh dear, now everyone's going to know what my speaking ability is like, my reading ability is like. I'm going to have to do more than simply breathe and make it through this room. And so to speak in front of a few hundred people, Miranda's done a great job. I really appreciate that. Hey, um, it's, it's great to be here, and it's such a privilege to have this opportunity to speak. I'm Nick Harris, and I really appreciated the words of Pete during the announcements. Uh, it is wonderful to be part of this church and to know that this church is so much more than the service we are now, that uh, God is doing things across every single generation here at Kerry. Anyway, that is, that's the ad lib. What I really want to ask you as we begin today is, is how do you go when you're returning to something you haven't done in a while? So when you've had a big break from something, and many of us have had big breaks recently, and if you haven't had a big break, like my brother Jet, I do apologize for rubbing in that some of us have been on holidays. But if you've had a big pause between something you do regularly, how do you go when you return to that task? You see, for me, preaching is something that I do fairly regularly. I speak in the evening service often. I speak at Friday night at our youth ministry. It's just something that I'm used to being in the saddle with. But I haven't spoken since the 3rd of November, and that's an incredibly long time for me. And so there's a lot of cobwebs I'm trying to blow out today. And and the reason I haven't spoken in so long is because on the 8th of November, my second daughter, Cora Lee, was born. And there's a picture of her just behind me, and those are my two girls. And uh, that is the correct response. (laughs) I like that side of the congregation. The rest of you, you're trying hard, Pete. Keep up the good work. You'll do well. They are just stunningly gorgeous girls. I am totally biased, and I just absolutely adore them. They don't give me much sleep, but hey, that's the blessing that's been brought into my life, and sleep, psh, who needs it when you can hang out with those ladies? I remember as we were getting close to Coralie's birth, I remember quite often coming to church or being at work, and, and as is this common practice in society, uh, people would come up to my wife and I and would get a whole bunch of parenting advice. And I worked out a couple of things. Some of you are remarkable parents. Some of you should not breed, and uh, it's too late. You already have. I teach your children. Um, We read books, and, and as we did this, a lot of the topics centered on how do you prepare your eldest child for the arrival of another. And so we we developed this action plan from how we're going to introduce our girls, where each parent was going to be. We developed a series of gifts. Apparently, that's a thing. Uh, We talked about how we're going to come back into the house with the girls, what kind of um, routines we're going to prepare for them. We talked about how we're going to spend quality time and ensure that we don't just marginalize our youngest because she just lies there, and we don't just marginalize our eldest because, hey, let's face it, new is exciting and old is... We, We had a plan around all of this. We're good to go. But something that our reading didn't tell us, and none of you told us, was how to deal with a two and a half year old who just absolutely loves and adores her infant sister. How do you deal with a two and a half year old that just wants to play 24 7? Because the problem with a two and a half year old is they don't know their strength. And they know human anatomy, ear, nose, chin, etc. But they don't know that your fingers only bend a certain direction. That arms should only rotate to a certain point. They don't have a clue of their strength, nor do they have a clue about the vulnerability of this precious child that's over there. And so we had all these great plans about how we're going to introduce our girls together. And we came home uh, from the hospital and all of a sudden, Mayor Rose experienced, like never before, the words, no and stop. 
and 24 hours of no one stop, I just watched my eldest daughter's soul slowly being crushed under the weight of unmet expectations. Watching your child struggle, that's a pretty tough space to be in, I've discovered. Watching them struggle because it's your fault, because you failed to come up with an appropriate action plan, that's actually even worse. And so we've gone sort of 24 hours through this and, and we realized we needed a new plan. So the new plan we came up with for Maya Rose was, is you can play with uh, Coralie whenever you want as long as she's not sleeping. You can't touch her head, but whenever you engage her, it's the one finger rule. You can touch her with one finger on the tummy, on the hands, on the feet. Just use one finger and you're okay. And the simple reality was all our no's turned into yeses. And remember, just one finger, darling. And I just watched this weight be lifted off my youngest child as she was able to thrive in the space of connection with her sister. I've had nine weeks to think about this, and if you're expecting a second or a third or a fourth or a fifth, there's my advice to you. The one finger rule works. But as I've been reflecting about this, I've been thinking about the space between what we're expecting and what actually happens, reality. And the difficulty of living between a promise received and the point in which the promise is actually fulfilled. It's a real test of patience and character. If you've had children, you'll know that pregnancy is just one of those seasons. You have this moment where you discover that you're pregnant and you're able to sort of walk out and announce to the world, hey, this is what we're expecting. And then all of a sudden, there's this long nine-month wait. And for us, I mean, it's never great for people, but for us, it was an incredibly tough nine months because Kat was sick with hypermesis gravidarum, so she was just sick throughout the entire pregnancy. I remember with Maya Rose, Kat was sick then for the first time, and uh, it was just this remarkably hard season for us as we rushed off the hospital. We had no idea what was going on, and we were also riddled with this fear because we'd lost a child beforehand. We were riddled with this experience of, is this actually going to happen? Are both bub and mum going to make it through this, just one or none? These are very real questions because eight years prior, just before we got married, we actually got told there's a very real possibility that you guys might not be able to have kids. We got married and soon after that, God actually gave both Kat and I a vision for our family and what was going to come to pass. But you know, there's a massive gap between being newlyweds and the birth of our first daughter. And before her birth, there is loss and complications. So what do you do in that season between receiving the promise and it actually being fulfilled? And I know for many of you, your story might be about complicated uh, pregnancies, but it might be something entirely different. I know that for us, we've all gone through life. And as you go through it, things don't always pan out the way that you're hoping or expecting. It could be that you were going through your work context and you just had this real sense that God has got something more for me. A promotion came up and you were like, yes, this is for me. And then someone else, who in your opinion was totally unqualified, gets the position. It could be that you had a real conviction in your heart that God wants me to say something to Joe Bloggs down the street. You walk up to Joe Bloggs, you start speaking, but you realize the conviction was right, but the timing was wrong and could be that you feel that you've been called into a new ministry and as soon as you've gone to step out in faith you've just been met by challenge after challenge if you've had one of these seasons you know that when you're going through this journey there's so much doubt there's so much fear was the prophecy you received a prophecy 
or just a figment of your hopes and your desires. Let's be candid. I don't think those seasons are nice, but if you've been through one, you realize that you have this remarkable opportunity. It's an opportunity to learn about God and your faithfulness, your trust in Him. Arguably, one of the most significant people through history was Abraham. He's the founder of of three of the world's major religions in Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And walking alongside Abraham is his wife. She was called Sarai, later renamed Sarah. And a little bit of trivia for you guys. Sarah is the most mentioned female in the Bible. She's got more mentions than Esther, who's got a whole book named after her. And she's got more mentions than Mary, who's the mother of Jesus. So Sarah is a pretty big part of our faith journey. In Hebrews 11, which is the passage of Scripture, which is commonly referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame, there's just this list of just titans of faith, giants in, the Christ, in Christendom. And in there, Sarah is not only mentioned, she is the first female mentioned again. And what I love about this is that in Sarah, we have this pillar of faith, yet when you dig into the story of her life, some of the scenes that Miranda read out to us, when you dig into her story, you see one of incredible humanness. It's messy. It's challenging. It doesn't go to plan. There is fear, there is doubt, there is failure, and there is at the heart of this a lady with remarkable faith in her God. So, let's start to unpack some of this today. In Genesis 12, we know that Abraham, he's called by God to leave absolutely everything behind that made up his identity. A call to him is a call to his entire family. So Abraham leaves with this notion that God is going to bless him so that they can bless all nations. Sarah's along for this ride. Jump forward, notice, a few decades. It's not, boom, leave, set up, everything's great. I got given the topic for preaching, it's Sarah. That's all I got told. So I read... Genesis 12 to 23, and I just realized I'm cutting out way too much, but you want lunch. So we're jumping forward a few decades. You have to read it yourselves. Uh, Abraham is still childless. And we get to Genesis 15, verse 3. You have given me no children, Abraham says to God, so a servant of my household will inherit. He'll be my heir. How incredibly dissatisfied must Abraham have felt. And God says, no, 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 a servant won't be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood. That night, Abraham, he's standing out, and you've got to go into the countryside to have this kind of experience. He's standing out under the stars, and God says, look up. There's no city lights to pollute that sky. He says, look up, start counting, and if you can, you might get close, I doubt it, to the number of descendants you're going to have. It's this remarkable God encounter. Very few of us will ever have something quite as pertinent as that. And you can just imagine, Abraham would run into Sarah and say, hey, honey, guess what just happened? And I want you just to think for a moment that you're an old lady who has never given your husband a child. And your husband, he, your husband runs in, so you're old, you're barren. And your husband says, honey, I, I was praying. I was praying outside just, just, just an hour ago. And God reaffirmed that we're going to have children. And God said we're going to have so many children that our descendants, our descendants are going to come from our children. They're going to outnumber the stars. Imagine you're Sarah, you're old, you're barren. How do you receive this promise? Do you assume that the promise to Abraham is a promise that includes you as wife and therefore mother? Or do you receive the promise to Abraham as a death threat? Because you're not giving this heir 
And so maybe God doesn't have this plan for you. And maybe you're supposed to be pushed to the sideline. Which one do you choose? It's been decades. She grabs onto hope. But we get to chapter 16. It's a remarkable promise. It's a highly unlikely promise. And guess what? Ten years have passed. That's a third of my life. That's a really long time to wait for something. Doesn't matter how old you are. Ten years have passed. And, and you know, one of the toughest things in life is waiting on God. He, he never seems to be in a hurry. I really would love him to answer me more quickly. And yet God is never, ever late. The Bible says for God, a thousand years is like a day. So Sarah, she's got this 10-year wait. She's no children. And all of a sudden, over 10 years, she allows the doubts and the fears to build up to such a point that she allows it to override the promise that she's grabbed hold of from God. And so she, she has an Egyptian slave. She goes to Abraham. She says, honey, you want kids? My gift to you is my slave. Sleep with my servant. Go have fun. She'll give you the son you desire, the son that God has not allowed me to give you. Imagine that you've been married for decades, that you're barren. Can you imagine going to your spouse and saying, take somebody else to give you this thing that we've so longed for? You've got to get some of that hurt to understand the magnitude of the story. When things are tough and what, we, what we're hoping for isn't happening, isn't it easier sometimes to let go of the vision, to let go of hope? One of the writers in Proverbs, Pete, says this, without vision the people perish. See, the simple reality is Abraham and Sarah, they had a vision from God. The problem was not the vision. The problem was that over time, they got short-focused and started to fixate on their lack. They focused on the problem. We don't have kids. They allowed negativity to creep in. What does negativity breed? More negativity. And so all of a sudden, they trade in God's vision for a human solution. Sarah's plan, that plan might seem outrageous to us today. It is outrageous. It was heartbreaking back then as it would be heartbreaking today, but it was culturally acceptable. It was very much the norm. Her logic is simple. Abraham needs a son. I can't give him a son. Uh, why shouldn't someone else give him her son? Why shouldn't Abraham be like every other leader? But hang on a second. God's plan for Abraham is that he's not going to be like every other leader. The logic of humanity doesn't quite match with the vision from God. It's a short-sighted solution, and the immediate consequence, Hagar gets pregnant. It's not the promised blessing. And, and the consequences, you get the breakdown between Hagar and Sarah, it's the breakdown between uh, Hagar and Abraham, and you get this incredible strain between Abraham and Sarah, and I guess the simplistic lesson that should be said, gents, if your wife rocks up to you and says, hey, take this lady, it's a trap. Just calling a spade a spade. Abraham's response should have been, no, hun, it's no children or children with you. Abraham's response should have been, hun, I'm believing in the promise God gave me. There's another whole layer of hurt and failing that I'm just not going to deal with. We'll just leave that there. It's not that Sarah had a bad plan and Abraham's innocent. No, no, no. It's a bad plan and it's bad execution. In marriage, we are one. The consequence of this mistake from this couple 
The conflict between Jews and Arabs has been played out thousands of years later today. Why? Because a couple traded in God's vision for them for the solution that they developed to their problems. So, the very first lesson I bring today, and I love taking notes and messages. Highly recommend it. I go to the gym, you can't tell, but I go to the gym, sometimes I watch other churches, and one of the crowd shots is always people taking notes in the messages. I'm like, yeah, that's a cool church. Um, don't always think that, actually, but that, that's awesome watching people take notes. The first lesson is never compromise God's plan and purposes for... Never compromise God's plan and purposes because of the promise, because of the problems we face. Don't make compromises because you see problems. The second thing I learned is that God's got an entirely different timeline to people. You see, it would be nice, wouldn't it, if Sarah received the promise and then the implementation was immediate, nine, maybe 10, 11 months later. The problem is that she becomes short-sighted by looking at what's in front of her. And many of us have made this mistake before. We cannot just judge her for this. I know that there have been times when I've held on to finances because it just didn't seem like the logical time to give. I know that there's been times when I've given more exuberantly because it seemed like a great place to invest or something like that, and it just hasn't worked out. I've uh, seen this Christian sign that reads, if you want to make God laugh, just show him your plans. In my research, one of the commentators said this, uh, Sarah's actions is an example of backward planning because she made arrangements without first hearing from God. Passion in scripture, we'll get it from Psalms, is simply this, wait. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and Wait for the Lord. If the waiting was easy, it would not say be strong. Wait. Be strong. When waiting, what do you do? We should be waiting in prayer and in Scripture. You see, as we do these things, we're speaking to God. And as we're speaking to God, we're trying to discern what He desires for us. And and guess what? As you're speaking to God, you might just find out that God's not quite as silent as you were thinking. Prayer helps us develop a lovely life rhythm that draws us closer to God, irrespective of the season. So lesson one, don't compromise God's vision because of your problems today. Lesson two, God has his own timeline. And lesson three, man, this one just hits me time and time again. It seems counterintuitive. Don't try understand God's plans. That's the entire opposite of what we do in our education system. We're like hardwired to try and understand things. If I'm in a conversation with friends and someone says, do you know? I go, no, but Google does. I'm always trying to understand, but I'll put to you this, don't try understand God's plans. That's a mistake that Sarah made. See, she assumed she understood what God intended. She, she assumed that God intended for Abraham to have a son with or without her. That's the assumption of the plan. In the book of Isaiah, God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. I I think of the Apostle Paul. Remember the Apostle Paul? What an incredible man. If you think of the most influential people throughout history, it's number one, Jesus, and probably number two, Paul. And think of his life. He lives his life and he's afflicted by suffering throughout that hampers him in his ministry. Think of Paul. Wherever he goes, he's doing great, well, from his conversion point onwards, he's doing great work for the Lord. 
And yet it's just struggle after struggle. And, and think about his famous words. He's in prison when he writes, in all things God works for the good of those who love him. He's in prison and he says that because his recipe is really simple. Trust in God irrespective of circumstance. Because I don't have to understand what God's doing up here. I've just got to trust as I walk down here. Seems to be what Paul says in her book, The Hiding Place, the author, Carrie Tenboom. Uh, she's recounting her experiences in one of the Nazi concentration camps. It was an all-women's concentration camp. And as she's recounting her experiences, she said that she'd be lying at night in bed. And she would just be suffocating with the stench of dying human bodies. But she said that as I'd lie there in this overcrowded barracks, the thing that got to me most was the fleas. I would lie there and I'd try to breathe and I'd try to push out the smells and everything. But the thing I couldn't get rid of was this, this, this gnawing, biting, itching thing at my skin. And she says, I just remember crying out in my prayers, why God, haven't I suffered enough already? Why the fleas? Whilst in the concentration camp, Corey started a Bible study for women. It was a women's um, concentration camp, and uh, it was highly illegal to do that. If you got caught studying scripture, the penalty was death. And she said she was just amazed because she was uh, running this Bible study in the barracks, and it kept growing and growing and growing, and the guards just never came in and caught them. And then she said one day, one of the people in the Bible study overheard one of the the Nazi uh, prison warders teaching somebody that we don't go into the barracks because of those fleas. And Corey just simply said, as soon as I heard that, I saw my flea problem in an entirely new light, and I began to pray a totally different prayer. Never compromise God's vision because of your problems. He's got his own timeline. There's no point trying to understand his plans. There's this um, wall in Cologne, and it's got these words written on it. It says, I believe in the sun, even when it's not shining. I believe in love, even when I don't feel it. And I believe in God, even when he's silent. Isn't that when life's hardest? When God seems to be totally silent. I think of Sarah, and I think every single month she must have had hope. And she would have waited for some sign. Every month, that sign would have been taken away from her. And the question, God, how can I trust you? God, where are you? She wasn't the first to ask that question. Luke 24, there's a couple of disciples and they're walking along the road to Emmaus and they're just chewing over absolutely everything that's happened. They've seen Jesus uh, being arrested, beaten and crucified. And their hearts are breaking because they had hoped that Jesus would be the Messiah, that he would be the one that came to save, to liberate, to free them. And they'd just seen them killed. These two men, they're walking down the road and they're just recounting, how did this all end up so wrong? And along comes another traveler, Jesus. And he enters the conversation and they're so filled with grief that they do not realize who they're walking next to until that night they're eating dinner and the Bible says that God opened their eyes and they recognized their friend as Christ, the one killed and then risen. You know that whenever God seems silent, remember, he 
his presence. John 14, Jesus is with his followers and they just totally feel filled with fear and uncertainty. Judas, he's just left the group as a known traitor. Peter's just had the hard word. You are going to deny me three times. And in the scene of confusion, Jesus says just this wonderful, wonderful thing. He says, when you're disoriented, I am the way. When you're confused, I am the truth. When you're fearful, I am life. Know me to knowing me is always and will always be enough. I look at Sarah's life and I'm reminded that the road of faithfulness, faithfulness is not always easy. I learned you cannot compromise. I learned that you cannot just assume a timeline. I learned that there's no point trying to understand. I learned that God is always faithful. See, God had a plan for Sarah. How old is she? 90 and Isaac is born. How old is Abraham? 100. This is just not humanly possible, but what is humanly impossible is possible only with God. That is the God that we serve. God's got a plan for me. I don't know it. He's given me glimpses. He's got a plan for you. I wonder what glimpses you've got. And he had a plan for his son, Jesus. You see, to his disciples, Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, so believe in me also. What's Jesus' solution to the problem? Hold on to your faith. Why? Jesus says, I am going to go to my father's house. There's many rooms. If this was not true, I wouldn't have told you about the rooms. I ain't that guy. I'm not that liar. What a waste of my time. I'm going to my father's house that has many rooms, and I'm going so that you may be where I am. This is good news because the destination is not some place with separation. The destination is a place with a person, Christ. But the pathway to Jesus' house is one that requires Jesus to go away. You see, his pathway has to be the pathway of the cross. And the path for Jesus is one that he walks on our behalf so that we don't have to go that journey. Because at the end of the day, he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we're here today, it's 2018. What do we make of the life of Sarah and of Christ the myriad of stories that we have in Scripture. When I think about this new year, I do not know what it holds for you. But I know that we can trust in a God who is always good. I know that God has plans and purposes for each and every single one of us. You say that, it seems abstract. When you know what God is saying to you and you hold on to that, your journey changes. Because you've allowed God what a privilege. He gives us the opportunity to reject or accept. You've allowed him to walk through life, the gift that he's given each of us today. And so my prayer for this year for all of us is that we would all know the presence and experience the presence of God more in every single season. That we would hold on to his promises, that we would hold on to his vision, that we would step out in faithfulness and allow God to do what only God can do. Let me pray for you. Father, I just thank you for this, for this beautiful service, for this beautiful congregation with incredible people. Thank you, Lord, for the many gifts, abilities, talents, stories, and journeys we have in this space. Thank you, Father, that when raising children, there is so much shared wisdom in this space. I thank you, Father, that when struggling, there are shoulders to cry into, voices to prayer, hands to prepare meals, people to do life with.
Thank you, Father, that in this community we are human, we are messy, we are your creation. I thank you, Father, that you are present in your creation. I thank you, Father, that you go to great pains, to great lips, to step into your creation so that we would know that you are with us. And so, Father, for us here today and for those of us not able to make the service, I just pray in advance that 2018 would be a year in which we experience more of your presence, where we hold more firmly than ever to the visions and promises you've given so that your kingdom would come, so that your name would be lifted up, so that your would be done. In your name I pray. Amen.